This is a post-Christian podcast. Good morning, everyone. How I hope everyone's doing well. Can you? Is this showing up? I mean, I want to make sure that's good. I don't know if we're recording or not. There. Yep. Yep. It just you know, it takes it takes a while. This this lag um, with technology is always like a I don't know five six to ten second delay. Um, anyway. We're trying out some new lighting um, here, so if my face is a little bit brighter, I have a, it looks like I have a glistening forehead, which is it, I, I'm not fi- or I'm fine with that. It's not a big deal. I just don't want you to think I didn't take a shower for. Now it's too dark. Now it looks like I have. Anyway, anyway, you know it's just this this banter. If anybody's watching, just let us know if it's if it's too dark. Um, yes or no. Anyway, uh, hopefully everyone's doing a good job. And for those of you who will listen to this on um, the streaming st- the streaming version of it and the podcast, you probably will be like, what in the world is he talking about? Um, so yeah, any of you who watch this live will know um, what we're talking about with the audio, uh, or audio, with the lighting um, and everything like that. So, uh, I just want to thank everyone for tuning in again this week to Revolution Church Minneapolis. I've been doing this um, almost two months now, about six weeks, and every week is, it's a a new thing. Okay, I see that, Ray. Thanks for um, the comments that it's all all good. Thank you. Um, Yeah, we've been doing this for almost six weeks. it's still such a whirlwind that that uh, this is happening because if any of you know who followed Jay um, through the many iterations of revolution that he's done all over the country, um, I'm still uh, I don't always say it, but I'm still in awe of of the opportunity that I get to do this um, every Sunday. And as as people know, as pastors, um, as a pastor myself, even though I'm not quote-unquote ordained um sometimes it's a little it's a little uh you you struggle with burnout you struggle with what should i talk about every week what should i you know something might be important to me or might be uh something might be pressing on you know in your brain to be like hey this is uh something i really want to talk about or it makes sense to me is it going to make sense to you know the listeners who listen whether live or um watching on facebook or on our podcast <clears throat> so it's one of those things that um i'm always just a little i'm just um humbled that i get the opportunity to do this um every sunday and just bring um some i think important things that um these important sermons. I don't like necessarily calling them sermons. I like calling them talks um, because I feel like sermons, I'm trying to preach something at you. I'm trying to um, tell you what you should do and sometimes not even looking at it myself on doing that. Um, So I like calling them talks. I mean, I know it's just little uh, linguistics, gymnastics that I'm doing 
when I talk about that, but you know, um, it is what it is. Um, but I'll let you know, um, I'll let people know if I do have any burnout, if I do have, um, you know, I'll always post it if I'm like, Hey, I'm just not feeling it. Cause I know that this is a community revolution is a community where, you know, sometimes we might just need to take a week off to just, you know, for myself to center myself. There's a lot of things that I do to prep, obviously the sermon prepping, obviously, you know, setting up all the gear and all that stuff while you're having a three-year-old um, in the other room, trying to keep her quiet and also having a three-year-old cat who likes to try to bite all of all of the gear and all of um, the stuff around. So that being said, um, um, we'll be coming again live next week, um, which is, if I've known my days, the 20th, I believe, of December. I'll be giving a, a talk then. And then um, the following Sunday, if people don't realize, um, most pastors around the world who who preach always take that last Sunday after Christmas off. There's usually, um, there's usually at least one, if it's not the last one in December, usually the first one in January. Um, so I'll be taking that one off. I'm actually going to be seeing some of my wife's family. We're going to go see them for, for Christmas. So Curtis, um, who is, um, part of the community who helps out a lot with audiovisual, he's going to be coming with a talk. I don't know what he's talking about yet, but knowing Curtis is going to be very, very good, very deep, very, um, very engaging. Um, so that's coming up. And then um, in January, it's kind of rumbling around in my head right now, but we're going to um, start a series. I'm not going to say that, say what it is yet, but um, I have a couple ideas in the back of my head what I'm going to, what I'm going to bring to you all. So hopefully it's going to be great. Um, Amanda's helping me out today, my wife. Um, she's off camera, but she's, oh, there's her thumb. Fantastic. She's going to be um, scrolling through comments or questions that you have. And feel free, Amanda, if you have any questions, too, at the end. You know, just jump in. Um, so it's not just me talking. Um, sometimes I don't always want to hear my own voice <laughs> for an hour. Um, yeah, since last time... Um, I'll be remiss to say if I don't talk about weather. Um, winter has actually arrived in Minnesota. We haven't had snow. I've been watching on my Facebook feed. Usually it's Minnesotans complaining like, oh my gosh, it's so cold. And look at all the snow on the ground. We're a week and a half away from Christmas. And there's no snow to be found on the ground here in Minnesota. But yet, uh, I was watching a football game yesterday. There's snow down south in Nebraska. There's snow... Um, in Oklahoma, all these places that normally don't get snow. So guess what? I'm fine that they get the snow and we don't. I'll take the cold any day over snow. So, so yeah. And, and I usually do recommendations. I'm not going to do recommendations this, this week. However, um, my ankle hurts really bad because I got a tattoo. Um, I'm, if anybody knows that I'm a big, actually I'm wearing the shirt Frankenstein and Bride of Frankenstein. I love horror movies. I love just all the kind of horror films. And um, if anybody knows, I'm getting uh, uh, my leg sleeve from my knee down to my ankle on The Bride of Frankenstein and Frankenstein. Um, so I'm getting that done. And I just, on Thursday, got some work done on the lower part of my leg, down by my ankle. Which, when I started getting tattooed at 18, never thought I was going to get a leg sleeve, but that's that's happening 
So yeah, my ankle hurts really bad, but it looks really, really cool. If you go on my Instagram, uh, my personal one, Rogue Theologian, you can see the pictures. Um, and I just want to shout out to my tattoo artist, Gabe. I know he's not watching, but um, he does a fantastic job. So if you're ever in the Twin Cities, let me know if you want to go to a good tattoo parlor, and I will tell you where to go, and he'll hook you up. So this week, um, since we're almost 10 minutes in, enough of me blabbering about whatever, um, I want to talk today about something that's really near and dear to my heart, um, something I've talked about this, I've preached on it in other churches and UCC churches and, and, and other gatherings that, um, that I've been a part of. But it's something that I think um, is super, super important. And this isn't even important for religious folk. It's important for anybody, whether you're an atheist, agnostic, you know, not even part of um, a faith tradition. Um, but it's it's the idea of practicing lament, and that's the name of my talk is practicing lament. Um, and I'll go into. I'm not going to go into like this deep theological diatribe of of the intricacies of lament. I know the last few weeks I did the atheism and beyond, and that was really 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 heavy on on certain terms, certain. Um, it was very, very heady, very philosophical, and there's nothing wrong with having a heady or philosophical um, talk every now and then, but I don't want to just, um, since I'm new to starting this and new to doing Revolution Church Minneapolis, I don't want to say anything too, um, you know, inundate you guys with a, a lot of um, a lot of uh, deep kind of heady philosophical stuff, but um, I, I really want to talk about lament and really how lament became more passionate to me um, is when I was dealing stuff when I was an evangelical. Um, many of you know, as I said, uh, I grew up in the Assemblies of God, so did my wife. We actually met at an Assemblies of God, which is in the Pentecostal movement. We met at our college here in the Twin Cities. But um, And any of you who watch this or listen to this will know that in the evangelical world, um, a lot of times when you go to those type of churches, you don't really have the opportunity to feel sad, to feel angry, to feel mad. Any kind of these, any kind of these negative emotions or negative feelings are always attributed as um, something that's bad. Something that um, you know, you always give your best for God. You always give your best for God. You never, um, you're never supposed to act like if you're sad or or if you're depressed. I mean, that's a word. The the D word, the depression. Or depressed, you were never, you never were taught that in church. Like that was always something. Oh, well, just give it to Jesus. Just pray about it. This, this, or that. Um, hey, you know, if it works for some people, fine. But I'm, I'm a full believer, as I've said before, within medicine, with therapy, with anything that helps you. But the whole point is, we were never taught that um, feeling these negative feelings, feeling sadness, feeling grief feeling um, anxiety, any of these things that are human emotions, um, things that we struggle with, things that all of us at certain parts of our life deal with, um, it was just never talked about. Um, and it was really when I got into seminary, into my master's level work, and then into my doctoral work where I actually found out about lament, um, where I actually was taught about lament from some Bible professors. 
And it just sent me down this deep dive in a good way of just looking at the Old Testament scriptures, which I'll talk about a little bit here this morning, and then actually dealing with own personal things in my own life that really caused me to um, gravitate towards lament, that really caused me to um, jump in to say, you know, what is lament? Why why is it important? And as I'll say to today, um, the practice of lament is actually a spiritual discipline. You've heard people talk about spiritual discipline, I'm sure. Spiritual disciplines, you know, it could be prayer, it could be fasting, it could be um, a whole list of things. I'm not going to go into all that. But uh, the, the practice of lament is something which, through this talk, I will show you, is something that Scripture, especially in the Old Testament, really gives precedence to to say, hey, you know what, if you're going through trials, tribulations, you're going through um, grief and sorrow and mourning, it is totally appropriate and actually um, an appropriate form of showing feelings and showing emotions and just showing um, actually anger towards God. Um, so lament gives expression to some of the deepest, most personal and gut-wrenching emotions. Just any whoever is listening or watching, any kind of emotion that you get, the death of a loved one, um, and we know a lot of people who unfortunately are getting sick or dying because of COVID on this nasty pandemic, um, people who've lost parents, you know, kids, loved ones, grandparents, anything. Um, but also, it's not just personal, there's communal. We can lament over um, the climate crisis that we have in the world. We can lament about um, racial injustice. We can um, lament about if you've lost a job or a marriage has fallen apart, um, all these things. So lament, I don't want to get confused that lament is just for, oh, someone died or this. Lament can be for anything that any human being goes through, struggles with, um, anything that is that, that lament is just giving that um, giving the okay to say, hey, you know what, you feel this, you're going through this, it is totally okay to um, combat it with, uh, with these thoughts, these emotions. Um, in Scripture, um, there's many, many forms of lament that are done. The two things that, the two laments that Scripture uh, goes through a lot, quite a bit in the Old Testament, and a little bit in the New Testament is there's communal lament, which does not practice as much. But communal lament is obviously more than one person, but it was more, um, you know, entire people groups or cities. So like the Israelites, they lamented. That's a people group. They lamented over the destruction of Jerusalem. You had other people groups lament over um, over whatever, over, you know, being taken over by invaders or anything like that. But a lot of laments, what people, a lot of what the laments in the Old Testament were individual laments. So obviously self-explanatory, one person bringing, um, bringing uh, a lament towards God, towards Yahweh, with Yahweh is the Old Testament name of God. Um and I'm not going to go into the specifics. There is kind of this um, formula of how uh, it, laments were written in the scripture. I'm not going to go into that because I don't think that's 
as important um, for this talk. Message me if you want to know what that is. I can write it um, if you want to kind of get more biblically accurate on that. Um, however, um, such things as weeping, often uh, weeping um, attributed uh, was attributed to lament, excuse me, um, mourning, you know, when you're weeping because you're mourning, you're in grief, you're in strife. One thing I thought was really fascinating, obviously, weeping and mourning, people do that all over the world right now um, for whatever they're lamenting. But I think this is really interesting, and just if, take a visual if you can think about it. One thing that was very prevalent in the Old Testament, what people did is when someone died, a loved one, is they wore a sackcloth. And pretty much what a sackcloth is and nowadays is what you would think is like a potato sack. Um, I don't think you can really buy them like in the grocery store, but I'm sure if you had a farm and you were farming potatoes and stuff, just those nasty, coarse um, kind of potato bags that are really like itchy. They kind of remind me almost like of wool. People would literally wear those um, as a as a form of to let everyone else around them know, hey, I'm lamenting. Um, I'm going through grief. I'm going through mourning. And a lot of what people did would, um, they would anoint themselves with oil. They would anoint that person who died with oil, but they would also anoint themselves as, with oil as kind of like a, um, um, that they're not synonymous, but that they're, they're with that loved one who died in, in mourning to describe that. Um, and a lot of times, which I found was interesting is they wore ashes, not ashes necessarily of the loved one who died, but just ashes that, you know, probably they burnt something, ground it up. Kind of like if you go to a normal quote unquote church service on Ash Wednesday and usually the, the what you did with the ashes is you burn the palm branches from the previous year's Palm Sunday service and you burn that and into the ash and you mix it with oil and then you kind of just mark yourself. So that that is a tradition that churches do all throughout history that they've done for thousands of years is they burn leaves, they burn palm branches, mix it with oil, and then they wear that. And that's just a sign of grief, mourning, solidarity with uh, with the others in that time. I found this really interesting, too, is in the early Jewish biblical times, women, I don't know it was about men, probably not, because, you know, it's a very patriarchal, very sexist society back then. Um, but women in particular, when their husband died, um, they actually, it was very, very um, prevalent and very uh, looked upon in a positive way for that woman to mourn her husband's death for a year. Yeah, you heard me right. 12 months, a year. Um, and most women, you know, didn't have jobs like they do now. They, Their jobs are taking care of the kids. Their job was keeping their house, their cottage um, cleaned up, everything like that. So what they would do as a sign of um, solidarity of their deceased spouse is they would literally wear this sackcloth robe and they and also anything that they had that was black kind of that's that's how we get at a funeral today where people wear black as a sign of somber as a sign of solidarity with that one who passed but we usually do that for a, that day um at the funeral service but back in the biblical times it literally was this the 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 wife wore the sackcloth and any kind of black clothing um 
and they they had oils. They would anoint themselves with oil and ash every day um, as a sign of like, hey, I'm mourning. I lost someone. And just kind of in research for this, I found it, I found it quite fascinating that we um, don't practice that kind of stuff. I'm not saying you know someone should you know mourn or do that kind of grieving for a whole year. And I you know we all grieve and mourn um, in our own ways. But I was just talking with my wife Amanda about this um, on a drive yesterday, where I'm like, isn't it kind of fascinating? And sad in a lot of ways, at least here in America, because they can only speak from our context, at how when someone dies, it doesn't matter if it's a spouse. Like, if your spouse dies or a parent dies, usually in jobs, they only have to legally give you a week off, five days. If it's a grandparent, an aunt or uncle, three days. If, if like, my wife's grandparents die or, like, a cousin dies, I get one day off. And I just think it's so sad, in our, and at least in our American culture, where we're like, people are like, oh, that sucks. It's so sad that this loved one died. But we're going to need you to go back to work because we need the almighty dollar. We need this. So just even in our American culture, even in our church culture, church culture, whatever that is, we're not even given this permission ourselves um, to lament. We're not even given... Uh, uh, adequate time to process our, our feelings. And I remember when my own dad died 15 years ago this, this year, um, I, I mean, I was still in school, but I, I was given a week off of school, but I still had to make up all my homework. I still had to, you know, do all that. I had a part-time job. I still had to go to that. And even since then, it just bothered me. I'm like, at least in the old biblical, you know, Old Testament, they allowed people to to mourn, they allowed people to, uh, um, and it was appropriate for them to go through that. And I just find it fascinating why we, at least in America, to you know now don't have that. And I would be interested to anybody who listens, whether live, scroll the comments. If you're from outside of the American context, what what uh, what it's like where you are, what it's like <clears throat> whether it's in Britain somewhere in Africa or like an Asian country or in other European countries because um, I find it quite quite maddening in many ways of how we in the American context were looked upon just as you know a working stiff trying to make capitalism even stronger um, in our society and that when we all deal when we all do go through grief and traumatic things that we're not given uh, the okay to do that um, Many of us know, um, are familiar with, you know, Psalms, you know, the Psalms, um, that there's laments in there. And I'll get to that in a second, but we have the book, a a book that I've actually, um, read several times since I've kind of fallen in love with the idea of lament, is Lamentations. Lamentations, I mean, literally the name of the book is, uh, is literally translated Book of Lament, um, and Lamentations is one of those books, uh, you know, if you grew up in the church, I don't think anybody's ever heard a sermon preached on Lamentations. I know I haven't. I mean, that's, you You hear every now and then a, something preached out of Psalms or, or Ecclesiastes. Um, that, all those scriptures, or all that is uh, in a form, or in a section of scripture called Wisdom Literature. Wisdom literature. So, um so, like Lamentations, Proverbs, Psalms, Ecclesiastes, it's wisdom literature because they call it wisdom literature because, yes, it's it's literature, 
but it's also wisdom because that portion of Scripture, there's wisdom found within it. But Lamentations is literally a whole book of the Israelites, if I'm not mistaken, um, of crying out for from the destruction of Israel and the destruction of, of everything that they've held that was dear. So you have a whole book in the Old Testament that deals with that. Uh, then getting to Psalms, um, and then I'll say something about Job um, after this, but Psalms, um, I remember growing up and I thought Psalms was very, I never got it maybe just because I was always reading it from the King's James Version and, you know, with the thys and thous and, you know, whatever. It just felt like some Shakespearean um, mumbo jumbo. But more, the more and more I read about it, the more and more I dug in, I kind of fell in love with the the Psalms itself. And there's 150 Psalms um, that make up the whole book. And out of half of it, so I'm not good at math, but half of 150 is, I don't know, 80-some chapters probably. Huh? 75. 75. Thank you. My wife's good. So out of the 150 chapters in Psalms, 75 of them are laments. And that's that's huge. Um, so it's part of the wisdom literature. So we, you read these, and they're full of wisdom. But 75, 75 of these psalms are laments of, of communal laments, of individual laments, of people crying out uh, for this. Um, we don't know exactly who wrote um, all the psalms. Usually it's attributed to David from the Old Testament, that David. Um, we don't know because a lot of them, if you read the scripture, it'll be like, um, Dave, the psalmist writes this or Dave, the psalmist, King David, blah, blah, blah. So we're, it's attributed to David. Um, I don't know if it's, if he wrote all of them, but, um, what I'm going to read you now. And so if I look down, it's cause I'm reading the scripture, but, uh, I, when I was studying lament back in seminary, I came across Psalms 88 and it's kind of a smaller psalms because, you know, some psalms are hundreds of verses long. Some are two or three verses long. But Psalms 88 is probably the most um, bleak, dark, and I would want to say kind of just um, saddest part and um, kind of the lowest part of Scripture. So I'm going to read that real quick. I'm not necessarily going to give you like a critique on it or whatever, but just to show you that um, if you are going through grief, suffering, any of that sort of stuff, that maybe just, maybe this scripture will give you solace. Maybe this portion of, of um, the Psalms of the wisdom literature will give you some sort of, um, some sort of comfort, or maybe it, you know, you can wallow in that anger or that grief, which is completely appropriate. So this is Psalms 88. And this is actually um, attributed um, to David um, himself. O Lord God of my salvation, I cry out day and night before you. Let my prayer come before you, incline your ear to my cry. For my soul is full of troubles, and my life draws near to Sheol. Sheol is often attributed to hell, the underworld, the place of darkness. So there you go. I am counted among those who go down to the pit. I am a man who has no strength like the one set loose among the dead, like the slain that lie in the grave, like those whom you remember no more, for they are cut off from your hand. You have put me in the depths of the pit. 
in the regions of dark and deep. Your wrath lies heavy upon me, and you overwhelm me with all your waves. You you have caused my companions to shun me. You have made me a horror to them. I am shut in so that I cannot escape. My My eyes grow dim through sorrow. Every day I call upon you, O Lord. I spread out my hands to you. Do you work wonders for the dead? Do the departed rise up to praise you? Is your steadfast love declared in the grave or your faithfulness in Abdon? Are your wonders known in the darkness or your righteousness in the land of forgetfulness? But I, O Lord, cry to you. In the morning my prayer comes before you. O Lord, why do you cast my soul away? Why do you hide your face from me? Afflicted and close to death from my youth up, I suffer your terrors. I am helpless. Your wrath has swept over me. Your dreadful assaults destroy me. They surround me like a flood all day long. They close on. They close in on me together. You have caused my beloved and my friend to shun me. My companions have become darkness. And in other versions, it ends as darkness is my only friend. And every time I read that, even like right now, I kind of I kind of get goosebumps because that 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 it's one of the only psalms that doesn't end on a positive note, even on a lament. Because usually in the lament, it's there's always this this crying out to God, like I know I'm going through this. Why did you shine your you know shun your face for me? But also. Um, usually is like, but God, I have hope or I have faith or whatever. But this, this particular Psalms end with, I'm in darkness. I'm hurting. I'm mad. I'm hurt. I'm angry. All that. And it just stops and it just ends. And I find that fascinating. And like when I, um, looking back now at the death of my own father, the death of my grandparents, who I was really close to, um, I really uh, now I've gravitated like when I get mad or angry or full of grief, I go back to Psalms 88 and I, I kind of put myself in that psalmist and say, God, this is my prayer to you. I am angry. I am pissed. I am hurt. Your face, your your grace, your love, your hope is away from me. I don't have it. And I feel like this darkness is my only friend. And part of what I'm saying, too, is is that grief that you go through that the the trials and tribulations, whatever you want to call it, um, it is it is real, it is prevalent, but there's also scripture that shows you, hey, you know what? People have been going through the same kind of stuff since the beginning of time, and we actually can go to scripture. We can actually go to the Bible and and um, look at scripture like this to say, hey, you know what? I feel the same way as the psalmist, so maybe maybe lamenting is okay. As I said before, um, I'm going to just briefly touch on um, on Job. Um, that's a long book. I personally don't think Job was necessarily a real person, a real factual thing. But the story of itself goes. Obviously, Job had everything. Um, he was he was blessed with a wife and kids. He was a farmer in essence. He had cattle all this stuff and as the story goes is like god and the devil had a wager where god the devil was like oh you know see how your faithful servant job um let's kind of in, in a way let's have this wager is um i'm going to take everything away from job and his family and he'll eventually turn his back against you like 
all his favor, all this stuff, um, you know, he's going to say no to you at the end of all this. And, and God was kind of like, okay, bring it on. Do this. Job is a good servant. He's still going to be there. Longer story short, Job loses everything. Kids die. His cattle goes away. His friends leave him. Everything you can possibly imagine with Job, everything gets destroyed, taken away from him. But at the end of the story, you see that Job still cries out to God, that God that uh, God hears Job and his cries and blesses him and does all that stuff over. So that that is part of a, the wisdom literature, too. And so um, Job, that whole narrative will pretty much, as I tell people, that's supposed to say, hey, you know what? When you go through trials, tribulations, when everything seems bleak, God still has your back. Take that as how you want to with it. If that story gives you comfort, great. If it doesn't, then it doesn't. But as you kind of get the drift as I'm going through this talk, there's a lot of um, precedents in the Old Testament of lament of people going through trials, tribulations, grief, sorrow, where, um, you know, the story of Job ends in a positive turn. But as you see in Psalms that I just read, Psalms 88, it doesn't. So do with what you want within Psalms. Um, many people, you might be, you might be like, oh, well, all that you're talking about is the Old Testament, the Old Testament. That's, you know, maybe I'm not, maybe you personally aren't a fan of necessarily some of the stuff in the Old Testament, because there's a lot of stuff in the Old Testament that's really heavy, dark, and extremely violent. But I would say to people, Jesus lamented, uh, who uh, who we claim Christianity, we were named after Jesus, we're supposed to mimic Jesus's teachings, right? Um, just look um, before he got crucified, if you believe in the crucifixion, that uh, Jesus, when he went out with his disciples and he was going to pray, you hear the whole story, like his disciples were too tired and everything, and they uh, uh, all fell asleep, you know, they were tired, they were hungry, and Jesus went into the garden, this is Garden of the Gethsemane, and you see this this turmoil, this this frustration where it says in the scripture, if we believe it or not, I do, um, that Jesus was literally sweating blood. And I find that fascinating. Just think of if you work out and you build up a good sweat or um, you're, you, you know, you're sick, you know, you have the flu or something, you're, you're just sweating profusely. But never in all my life, have, whenever I've worked out or I was sick or whatever and I was sweating profusely, that I ever came close to sweating blood. And just to just to see the the mind-numbingness that, that Jesus had to go through, the, the grief, the sorrow that he had, where he legitimately was sweating blood, I find is, is quite fascinating. Um, and I, I, I look at that, I'm like, I've never heard anybody throughout history besides Jesus having to go through that. Well, and then you, you hear the narrative. We re, we're probably all familiar with the narrative of Jesus dying on the cross. And, and, but you hear at the end, um, Jesus cry out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And that right there gives me goosebumps because that is literally Jesus, you know, yes, God, you know, Jesus is God, God is Jesus, the Holy Spirit. But literally at that point, when you were, when Jesus was crucified, he was crying out, God, why are you, why did you abandon me? Why have you departed from me? What, and we can go into, there's a tons of theological conversations we could have at that and that's for another time but i find that fascinating that jesus in the midst of this pinnacle of this crux of of what christianity is based on is he cries out why have you forsaken me and growing up in this evangelical world 
Easter, um, when we celebrate, you know, the death and resurrection of Jesus, we always quickly, you know, glide over that. We're always like, yeah, and Jesus died and he said this, blah, blah, blah. But that that's looking in scripture. And I found this really fascinating when Jesus cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's a directly attributed to um, an earlier psalm, a psalm of lament. Um, and that I think it was Psalms 22, it was a direct correlation to. And they said when Jesus was doing that, he was crying out to all the Jewish martyrs who were murdered um, for believing in Yahweh, and not just Yahweh, but just being Jewish, because Christ was Jewish. And they were saying that Jesus did that as, as solidarity with with the Jewish martyrs. And a lot of people might be like, well, he did that, he was saying that because God left him, or he did that because he was covered with the world's sin. If you can have that interpretation, that you, you jump with that interpretation. But literally what scholars have said was pretty much everything that Jesus said, um, you know, he obviously answered people in questions, but a lot of what he fulfilled, he said, was part of the Old Testament. So being crucified was a fulfillment of that prophecy. But when he died, he literally was in his mind, they said he was probably thinking, this is what other this is what they've done to other Jewish martyrs. This is what they're doing to me whether he believed he was a martyr or not, but I'm by me crying out, I'm saying I'm in solidarity with my Jewish brothers and sisters who have died. And that is why I'm saying, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because like I said, it goes back to the Psalms where that Psalms is attributed to the Jewish um, martyrs that died and and to uh, the people of Israel. So yes, you have all that lament in the Old Testament and you have all that lament or you have that lament by Jesus um, and Jesus itself um, crying out. So I fu- my whole point is we have the okayness. We have the, the, the stamp of approval, so to say, to lament. Um, to kind of just briefly, I'm gonna, I want to wrap this up sooner just because I know that this can get heavy. But um, now that we're coming up in this holiday season, we've been in it for a while. As I've kind of said, you know, I grew up in the church Everyone all over my Facebook, all my friends who are ministers or pastors are like, Advent, Advent, Advent. And they go through the same thing every year. And I have no problem with ritual. I have no problem with people doing that all the time. I've said to my wife, I do Advent every year. I've done Advent one year, which is actually kind of fun. I did uh, Peter Rollins, if we all know who Peter Rollins is. He did this. He has this thing called Atheism for Lent. Um which I know it's not Advent, but it's for Lent, so another holy part. I actually did gave up God for a month and or forty days, and I wasn't particularly an atheist, but read on atheist thought. And so now I kind of with with Advent, I look at it as I still going to talk about God here in Revolution, but I've kind of purposely like I'm not really gonna always be talking about happy-go-lucky things. Oh, like Jesus came, uh, you know, um, to be born. He came to, you know, all this, the whole birth narrative. We know it. But I, and yes, it's, you know, we celebrate hope. We celebrate, you know, all these things, and that's great. But I want to look at some parts of Scripture during this Advent season where we're not always comfortable to talk about. And like I said, I think talking about... um, Lament is something that a lot of people aren't talk, talking about, and particularly within the holiday season, 
Um, I know not everyone has close relationships with family, whether that's parents, whether that's with spouses or your kids or whoever. Um, and we always are supposed to look at this time of year as, oh, yes, you know, there's a Christmas tree, there's gifts, there's time with family and eating. Um, I know it's with, we're all living through this pandemic, um, so maybe we lament in a way because we're not close uh, with our families. Maybe we can lament that way. But just just lament. Like, if, you, if you're one of those people that aren't close with your families, that's, that's fine. But maybe at this time... Um, I'm not saying reach out to your family if you want to, that's fine, or, or to whoever you need to. But maybe just go back to Scripture and read the laments and and, and um, discover the beauty of lament. Discover the, the biblical precedents that we have throughout the Old Testament and New Testament on why we can lament and why it's actually not a bad thing to do. Um, and, and I would just say lament doesn't have to be a prayer. Uh, a lot of times people look at lament as a prayer, but uh, I like to write a lot. Uh, I'm not saying I'm this professional writer, but I like to write poetry, even if it's poetry that I only read myself. But it, it, write down thoughts. You know, if it turns into like a prayer, great. But write down poetry. That could that could be a lament. Paint. Like I know my wife does a lot of artistic stuff, and if she, you know, maybe you could paint something. Maybe you're angry. Maybe you're. Um, uh, suffering, maybe you're going through some trials and tribulations, maybe paint something. Uh, that could be cathartic, and that's also a lament. Listen to some music. Um, I found out through research, too, that a lot of a lot of your classical requiems were laments. Stuff like uh, Bach and Valdi and other people, they wrote these beautiful, beautiful um, pieces hundreds of years ago um, as a form of lament for maybe the loss of a spouse or a loss of a kid or, or whatever. So a lot of classical music is even lament. So and I like I like harder harder rock music and I like kind of like hardcore and punk and some of that music in and of itself is lament. It's crying out for you know whatever, you know, injustice, climate climate craziness, um whatever. Um so music, painting, all kind of the arts can do that. Sometimes which is really cathartic too is just yelling. Just, not yelling at someone but maybe just Go into your room or if you have a backyard and just scream. Let it out. Let it out. It's it's cathartic. It will make you feel better. Um, I remember, and I'll say this, I won't say it uh, on the podcast or here streaming or on the podcast, but like when my dad died, everyone around me was praying because he died in a church. And I remember just literally cursing God out. I was just saying F-bomb after F-bomb after F-bomb. And I, everyone, I can just honestly tell you I've never felt a peace and this catharticness and this like presence of God because I was lamenting. I didn't know at the time I was lamenting, but I was lamenting. I was just spewing out like curse words. And I'm thinking now all these years later upon reflecting on it, I was like, I was lamenting. It was a prayer. It was frustration. It was anger. It was hurt. But I, I was doing something that people all throughout the millennia before us here now have been doing and so often and i was doing it in a church i was doing it quote unquote in a holy place and i found it so so cathartic i found it so helpful to do that so i guess kind of wrapping this up is lament 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 uh practice lament it's a spiritual discipline um 
and even if it's not a spiritual discipline to you, it's extremely cathartic. It's extremely beneficial to your soul. It's extremely beneficial to your uh, just to your well being. Um, we're not uh, anger is a n- natural human emotion, but if you hold on to that anger, that's the suffering, that grief, and you bottle it up, it's going to explode. I mean, just think when you if you drink a soda or a pop or any carbonated beverage, if you drop it on the floor and then try to open it up, guess what's going to happen? All the carbonation is going to shake up, and when you open it, it's going to explode. And that's what your emotions do. If, if you, there's not some sort of... Uh, opening for for that to come out that's what lament does lament will help you uh, in a in appropriate way release that tension release that grief release that that anger release whatever you're going through so i'm just going to say that i want to give a couple minutes for and if anybody has any conversations or talks um i guess i'm going to read the comments because i think my daughter um needs my wife um so, a couple of you guys have just set out. Some people are watching. I just, uh, thanks, Ray, for watching. Lexi, thanks for watching. If you're still watching, that's shout out to my cousin Lexi. Um, my mom's watching. Thank you. Um, Ray said essentially the same in the UK and Ireland as what you have described there. Um, extended time for bereavement by going to your doctor and studying mental health issues. That's that's true. I'm sure. I'm sure we could do that here in the States. Um, you know, we have something in America called the Family Medical Leave Act, uh, which is you don't necessarily get paid for it, but legally, the president a number of years did this uh, did this ago, that legally you can, if you find fill out the information, your doctors have to approve it and stuff, but they legally have to give you either up to three months or six months off. They don't have to legally pay you. But they can't legally fire you. Um, they have to have a position there for you, which is nice. But uh, also, they're like, if you need this time for your mental health, for your whatever, um, that's great. But we're not going to pay you. Um, so, any other couple of things? Um, Ray said, I have a couple of short podcast reflections on these events I did this Easter. Yeah, Ray, that would be fantastic. Um uh, put them in the community group that we have on Facebook. If you want to send me an email, I would, um, I would love to hear that or send me, send me those. I would be fascinating, um, to listen and to hear. And so, um, Ray, you also said, Ray, you're just filling up these comments. I love it. So essentially in a nutshell, lament is a space and permission to express grief. Absolutely. Uh, you nailed it a hundred percent, Ray. Um, lament is that space, to and and the permission to express grief and i and i think um you said it well with that word permission um you have permission um to express grief and and i know not everyone has sometimes we have a love-hate relationship with um with permission or not with permission excuse me with with the bible and how we view things um but yeah the, especially the Psalms, um, Job, and even Jesus. Jesus, Jesus, in him, in, in his own self. I don't like to use. I'm like trying to use gender inclusive languages. That's why I don't want to say himself. But Jesus, and Jesus, his own self, um, gave us permission to do that. The the early prophets, the early psalmists, they've all given us permission to express grief. Obviously, 
you know, there's positive ways to do grief. Don't go out and hurt people or, you know, curse people out. That's not appropriate. But like what I've said, you know, write stuff down, yell, prayer, pray, um, paint. Uh, if you're a musician, write, write a piece of music, uh, you know, yell at the wall, curse God out. Yes. I, you heard that from me as a pastor, curse God out. If that's cathartic to you, because when I curse God out, I remember, and people are going to take this or leave it, that's fine. But I felt like God, I heard this voice, whether that was my conscience or whether it was the Holy Spirit, whatever. And um, I, I, it's like I heard this voice almost saying to me, you know, it's okay. It's okay that you're saying this. I'm not hurt. I'm not offended. You weren't the only person to do this. You will not be the last person to do this. So as I say to you, to everyone listening or watching, um, you you have the permission, and Rhea, you said it so eloquently, you have that permission <clears throat> and the space to express that grief, however that is. And no matter what you're going through, and you feel like, oh, why am I going through this grief? Why am I going through this anxiety? Why am I going through this suffering? I can't answer that for you. I can't. Only, And you probably can't answer that for you. But the scripture is giving a clear mandate that you that you do have that permission to do that and you have that place to do it. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. I'm going to see if anybody, I kind of went through most of the questions, Amanda. I don't know if there's anything else that people have said or if I covered it. Do you have anything you want to say before I wrap this up? Um, hold on. There's another comment coming oh. through. Do I need to come closer? Yeah, yeah, come on okay. come on over here. Come closer so you can hear me. So we have a message from Lexi. Hi, Lexi. I love all of this. It's not often talked about to be able to feel how you feel in the church. You have to have your constant happy face on. I think it's important to acknowledge all the feelings you have. Love this. Yeah, thanks, Lexi. Um, yeah, it's so true. And if it's safe to say, Lexi, we were probably raised in the same tradition in the same way um, because you're your family. um, And I'm thankful for family that's, you know, watching. I'm not saying people have to. That's family. But it's always nice when I have family that watch. Um, But, yeah, um, how how often do we put on our happy face? How often do we, you know, we feel like absolute shit. We feel like garbage. Uh, and we have to put that happy face on. And, and it's kind of like here in the Midwest, um, you know, when someone asks you, oh, how's it going? How, how are you doing? You always have to lie about it. You could be literally dying on the inside, having all this grief and, and madness going on inside your soul and inside your mind. And we, we say we want to really know how you feel, but we have to put this happy face on. And that happens in church. That happens in, in family events, that happens around holidays, that happens um, and all the time. And when I talk to family or friends, and I'm like, oh, how, how are you doing? And, and I, can, I always see that, that, that I'm good at reading people, and I always see hesitation sometimes in people. And I'm like, no, seriously, I honestly want to know how you're feeling. And when I say that question, you see in a lot of people this, this like, I don't know, this wall come down around him to be like, okay, Brian really wants to know how I'm feeling, so I'm going to tell him this. And that's, I would say that to anybody that's listening, you know, 
if someone really asks you how you feel, ask them, like, do you really want to know how I feel? Because if you do, I will tell you. And if you don't, then don't, then don't, I'm not going to tell you. But I would even say to Lexi, all the people too, when you go to church, whether this is your church or you go to a normal, uh, you know, four walls, well, I should say this is a normal church, but, uh, but what did you say? Brick and mortar. Brick and mortar church. That was good, um, Amanda. You know, try, try to bring these things of lament in. I guess I would say if you guys go to a church, a brick and mortar church, go to the pastors, go to go to leaders, and say, "Can we talk about lament?" Because I heard a sermon, I heard a talk on lament, and it's really you know fascinating. And let's get into this because my my passion isn't for me to just you know tell you about lament and then it falls on deaf ears. My excitement and my passion is um, to eventually have this happen more in churches happen in the individual in in yourself but also happen in the church where when things like in minnesota here we had the george floyd killing back in may but and a lot of some churches did stuff but most of the church regardless if it's evangelical liberal mainline whatever a lot of the churches were silent and, and that's wrong um in my opinion silence equals complicity silence means you're not having an issue about it and that's another whole conversation we could have for another day. But if we as the church will start lamenting in these atrocities, whether they're for racial injustice, climate change issues going on with that, um, even on that communal level, I, I want the church to take this serious and to say we have the biblical precedence and we have the biblical mandate that we should be able to do this and it's important to do it. Any other questions before I sign off? I think that's good, uh, everyone. Um, thank you for all of you guys who are watching. It means the world um, to not just me, to Amanda, to Curtis, to the other people who who are a part of this community. As I've said before, we're gonna. The pandemic has just screwed everything up. Um, I'm still talking with uh, the people at Bryant Lake Bowl, which is where Jay and Caleb had Revolution Church um, MN. Obviously, we, as I said, we've changed the name to Revolution Church Minneapolis. Um, please, please, um, when we do meet there, because that'll eventually happen, um, we'll still be doing like an online feed at the same time. I'm coming to you from my house. As you can see in the background, there's um, a deer behind me and a fish. That was from my father-in-law because he was an avid hunter. Um, so you won't get to see us in, in this place as our house, but we'll be at a bar, um, slash bowling alley. Um, and the last thing I will say, I hate saying this, um, we're working slowly, but surely on being, on incorporating ourselves into a religious nonprofit, uh, it takes time and energy and I'll be doing that. I have, I'm putting to, together a board to do this cause you need a board to do that. So I have two people that signed up to do that. However, in the meantime, we're going to be sign, um, creating either a PayPal or Venmo account that if anybody really does want to support us financially, and if you're like, hey, you know what, I don't make that much money, I could give a dollar a week, five dollars a week, or like 20 bucks a month, hey, you know what, we would completely appreciate that. This costs money to do this. The the gear has cost money for us to do this. Um it's, we're going to be charged rent when we start meeting at Bryant Lake Bowl. Not an exorbitant amount of money, but money nonetheless. Um, and I hate to ask for it, but if people do, that's how ministries like this make it and survive. So reach out to me on if if you're watching, if you have my phone number. 
reach out on the you know email at Revolution Church um, MPLS at gmail.com. Uh, I'm in there too, or send me like a DM um, on one of either Revolution Church or my own personal one at Rogue Theologian. Um, so yeah, um, I hate asking that. I feel like I'm a snake oil salesman <laughs> when I ask that, but it, seriously, from the bottom of my heart, um, we do we do need donations um, of any kind to keep this going long term, which is our our eventual goal here at Revolution Church Minneapolis. So. Um, I'm going to sign off and what? Oh, Amanda has something else to say before we leave. Um, I would also just like to add that if there's anything that you would like to get out of church more that you haven't really been able to, uh, get out of any other type of church you've been a part of, whether you watch online Uh, listen online or when we can meet in person again whether you meet in person let us know what is it that's kind of been missing that you want whether it's the content what's talked about what questions you're allowed to ask which here you're allowed to ask you know anything you know you want is that open place for that or if it's something with the the community of church or something you know let us know if it's something that we can you know incorporate here in that space for you and um, if you want to, you know, rewatch this, or if you weren't able to join right at the beginning, then this video, uh, I believe shortly would be available to, to rewatch again, and you should be able to go back and watch any of the past talks as well. Um, but yeah, just, just let us know if there's anything that you've kind of felt is missing from a church community for you. And, you know, we'll see if we can work on that. Yeah, that's I echo what exactly what Amanda said. Um, please reach out to us anyway. Um, we're always working to strive to be um, bigger, or not necessarily bigger, bigger and better of of what we're trying to do here at Revolution Church. I know this is just a new iteration of church, um, but yeah, reach out to us um, with anything, any ideas, any positive things that we could do, and. Um, Till next time, till next week, everyone, stay safe, be nice to everyone, and much love. Bye.
That was a post-Christian podcast.